to record. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. This week is a little bit different because the person we have on the show, well, let's just put it this way. I've been stalking them for a couple of years now and they don't know this. So it's just a really fun way for me to fanboy ever so slightly and have uh, someone I admire and respect on the show. This episode, as always, uh, is sponsored by AdelaMarcy.com. Um, but this one specifically is also sponsored by chujitsu.net. That's C-H-E-W-J-I-T-S-U.net. And I suggest if you guys know who this person is from that URL, you know you're in for a treat. Uh, real quickly before we begin, please rate, review, and subscribe to this episode uh, so we actually send you updates. And one final note as well is this episode is quite special to me because it is also dedicated the memory of my grandfather who uh, passed away on the 11th of May, 2020. Now, that being said, and all the fun stuff in the world, let's bring on our guest, the one and only Chewy himself. Chewy, good to have you, man. It's, Thanks it's for having really me on, brother. It's really weird that I don't know any other part of your name. That's just basically how I know you. It's Chewy. That's Chewy. That's, that's how we know him. Yeah, that's that's kind of what most people, even in my gym, people, most people know me as Chewy. Um, and unless someone adds me to like Facebook or something, that's what my name was. And I've had that name since I was, gosh, 18 years old. So I remember even when I was, you know, younger and before Facebook and social media and all that stuff, when I would... Um, talk to people. If I called them and said, Hey, this is Nick, you know, they would say, Oh, Nick, you know, and then talk to him, whatever. And they're like, well, how did Chewy do at the competition? I'm like, this is Chewy. Like, you know, they're one and the same. So I, I go by Chewy more often than I do Nick. <laughs> I got to ask, how did you get that nickname? Because like, was it a jujitsu nickname or was it just a nickname that ha- like came in from wrestling or just around friends? No. So my wrestling nickname was uh tugboat. So I'd come off the mat um, from wrestling the very first wrestling match i ever had and i came off the mat wheezing so badly like (sighs) that my coach gave me the nickname of tugboat and then following that i got into jiu-jitsu and then it was maybe two weeks into training jiu-jitsu that my uh one of my teammates gave me the nickname chewy because well it started off basically i was rolling and as many new people do in jiu-jitsu we don't really know what we're doing and so we do the wrong things in some cases we might like you know hit someone with our elbow or headbutt someone or whatever accidentally of course and that happened and then my teammate called me a big dumb wookie went from big dumb wookie to chewbacca to chewy and it just that's what stuck and i've had it gosh man for 20 years now <laughs> <laughs> that's still not a bad nickname as far as it goes with nicknames uh it, it it's miles better than the one that i ended up with what was your is, nickname uh abacashi which means pineapple in Portuguese. Pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> Why did they call you pineapple? Honestly, it was partially my girl, my ex-girlfriend's fault. Like It mm. was entirely her fault because I was learning Portuguese because um, whenever I get obsessed with a thing, I have to learn everything about it. So I was learning sure. Portuguese because most of the dudes in my gym are Brazilian. So I'm like, I, you know, it's a, you guys are my friends. I want to understand your culture, so I'm going to learn your language. Uh, so I was learning it, and abacashi just happened to be like my favorite word in the whole wide world. Just saying okay. it brought me so much joy. So my ex decides jokingly to get me a, uh, for my birth, and I'm joking with you, legitimately got me this, as a belt hook, like um, to put up my medals and my jujitsu belts, mm-hmm. um, like a little hanger, and it just had my name, like it just had abakashi printed on it. Yeah. Now, obviously, I uploaded this into the group, like uploaded it to my Facebook, and look what I saw. From that day on, like, my coach at the time, that's what he started calling me. 
And like four or five of my friends from there now and just be like, yeah, that's your nickname. That's awesome. Well, that's a good nickname because I feel like sometimes um, I remember when I was fighting in mixed martial arts years ago, you know, uh, guys would just come up with these nicknames to give themselves. So it would be like, you know, some really aggressive sounding nickname. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's a good nickname because that's not what they call you. And to, to me, a good nickname, no matter how silly it is or how funny, whatever it might be, that's like, it's what people actually call you. Like yeah. one of my students, his nickname was floppy because he was uh, pledging for a fraternity uh, during his during college, and they made him wear some s- silly shirt that on the back of it said "floppy," <laughs> and he wore it to training one day. And I was like, "Well, that's your nickname. You're you're floppy now. That's what I'm going to recall you." And so, you know, he would be in these. He was fighting MMA with me at the time too. So we would be in these fights, and you know, these guys would come out with the nicknames of like you know Pitbull and like you know Seek and Destroy and all these like aggressive sounding nicknames, and then it's like Chewy and Floppy. You know, granted. <laughs> We won, we won our fights, but um, it's just one of those things where, you know, to me, it's like, that's a real nickname. That's what they actually call us, not something we, we made up for, like, a stage name to compete with. Oh, I agree. Though some, some people do actually live up to their name. Like, I'd say Dominic Cruz lives up to his name. The Dominator, usually, he lives up to his name. Sure, sure. Fights. But, again, it, it's, it's more or less like, I, I would say, a nickname that's set, read for you outside of the gym or mm-hmm. inside of the gym is more... It, that's more of a badge of acceptance for me than uh, anything else is when someone from that generation kind of gives you like a nickname. You're like, you're Absolutely. One you're one Absolutely. Um, but that's just crazy. So curiously, right off the bat, what was the progression to go into jujitsu for you? Because like you went from, and you've of course done MMA as well. And I want to know how you, what the natural progression there was, but you start off in wrestling correctly. Mm-hmm. That, was your, that was your place. So you went wrestling. Did you go MMA first or did you go jujitsu first? Um, I went jujitsu first. It's actually a good thing because this, I was thinking about this the other day. I grew up like watching things like blood sport, um, and like all the movies back. Yeah, actually kickboxer, all those more old martial arts movies, which led me to Taekwondo at first. And I thought I was going to do that. And then one day my, I was about seven years old and my coach, like I was, I just got my yellow belt in Taekwondo and I thought I, I, I just wanted to spar. I wanted to get ready for the Kumite cause that's what I needed to do at the time. And so my, my coach told me that I wouldn't be, I couldn't spar because they had a sparring class, but the sparring class was for blue belts and up. And they said, I couldn't do that until I was a blue belt. That seemed really far off. So I lost interest in Taekwondo because again, I got to get ready for the Kumite. So me and my buddies just fought. I grew up watching the UFCs and then that seed was planted but what was interesting was, is it kind of like went off the radar for a while. And then I remember in high school, I ended up getting into wrestling. Um, there's a whole story in that in itself, but I got into wrestling and then it was like all of a sudden that seed started to sprout because then I started wrestling and then I started watching the, the UFC at the time in pride. I was watching pride matches and then I started seeing these wrestlers were winning. Right. And I'm thinking, well, like the UFC is kind of the real life blood sport back in the day. And so I wanted to do it and Taekwondo didn't work out but this wrestling stuff seems to be working all these wrestlers are winning and when I looked at it I was thinking well the only problem these wrestlers seem to have is they can't finish anyone they, they, they can ground and pound but they can't submit anyone so it seems like it would be a logical step to learn how to submit people and so I thought okay well I'll use my wrestling and I'll get into jiu-jitsu and then I will be able to compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments and I can fight and so in my senior year of high school I started searching all over the internet to find a website and you know, things back then were a lot different than they are now. You just couldn't like, it wasn't as easy to find things. And, um, but I finally, I finally found a website and on the back 
back section of it somewhere, there was a list of uh, jiu-jitsu gyms. I started calling up the gyms and found one that was with a coach that competed. And that's what I got into. And I competed jiu-jitsu tournament uh, my second week of training. And uh, about, uh, about two years later, I, I had my first MMA fight. That's incredible. See, like for me, my whole journey is so like, I love seeing people's journeys along the progression because mm-hmm. some people, they get their journey very quickly, but like my main instructor is Marco Kanya. Okay. And he was telling me how like he was basically a blue belt for six years. Mm. He was like, no, I was a blue belt for six years and my coach wouldn't promote me. And then when he finally gets his black belt, the first week he's a black belt, guess who his first opponent is on the mats as a black belt, as a fresh black belt. Mm, I don't know. What, what's his weight class? Oh, actually, no need to get off the movies. Who is his opponent? Oh, it was fucking Megaton. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of an opponent. That's just like first day. Okay, I'm black belt. Who's my first? Oh, you got that guy? Oh, yeah. uh, fine. Right, thank you. For the people that don't know who that is, that's Mackenzie Dan's dad, who is such a savage, to put it nicely. <laughs> Just, I mean, the guy's still, he's still competing and he's, he's so like, he competes he's, at the adult level. He doesn't compete in masses. He competes to adult. He's, he's still, he's a monster. Oh yeah. And he still like whoops the shit out of like younger dudes that are coming in. He's like, Oh, you want to go upside down? I'll sit on you and show you how it's done. <laughs> Baron Bolos. Oh, well, I remember the time where like, that was like the key thing was going upside down and inverting was just the rage. That was just the only yeah. thing nearly everyone did. But kind of going back to it though. Because for my own journey during into martial arts, I my journey was through Thai boxing, mm-hmm. and for me it was the kickboxer. Like I watched the kickboxer religiously as a kid, yeah. And then I tried karate, and then I made fun of the instructor, which wasn't very nice of me. Like I was like a really soft kid, but there was, you know, when someone just screams out in like karate style stances, you just can't help but want to make fun of them a little bit. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. It was. I was eleven, so I was giving this karate instructor shit as an eleven-year-old, and I never went back. And then two years later, I, there was an instant. I got stabbed. Basically, I got stabbed in an instant. My mom got really scared, and then she you were like, you were like thirteen years old, and you got stabbed. Yeah, I got stabbed in the chest. Like who stabbed you? Some racist prick from back in the day. Oh jeez. Um, like the whole story to that was, I pantsed his his younger brother was the same age as me. I pantsed him on the basketball court and then me and his brother got into a fight. It ended badly for his brother. Um, mm. I had no control. I was just an angry little kid that had a lot of repressed rage. And then his older brother was 17 and stabbed me. That was it. So my mm. mom got freaked out and she was like, you need to take up like self-defense classes. And I was like, I don't want to do anything semi-contact. So they put me in kickboxing and six months later, I'm in Thai boxing. Cause I nice enjoying that a little bit more but the journey and progression to like uh, jiu-jitsu and something i wanted to ask you on because i truly believe jiu-jitsu is probably the most allegorical martial art for life than anything else because nearly hmm. every position you can actually equate it to there's a way out of this but life can f- make it feel like there isn't so my question mm-hmm. to you is psychologically what advantages have you been able to pick up in jiu-jitsu that have worked universally in other areas of your life Mm, there's a lot of those. Um, Go for as many as you want, by the way. Uh, you know, there's obviously there's one is just the the idea of showing up. Um, a lot of people lack the ability to stick with something for a long term, especially now, like in a 
a world where we're bombarded with so much stuff. There's so much stuff to do, so much stuff to see and all that stuff. Um, it's very hard for people, it seems like these days, to just stick with something for a long time because they're distracted. Um, there's even the idea of the whole idea of continuing to do something and understanding that you're not going to be good at it at first. And that's okay. Because again, in a world where we have a Google, where we can like search up and the get the quote answer for something, it then relies on that person to execute that answer. And a lot of times people don't, they, there's a little bit of a, a drop in between. There's a loss in translation there because people, they have the answer. And so therefore they think they have it, but you, you know, you don't have it until you used it. You don't have an understanding of it. And so I think that jujitsu is one of those things where, yeah, you have the answer, you found the technique that could fix your problems, but you actually still have to use this in a real live situation, right? Um, as a business owner, you could learn how to, you know, fix something in your business, right? That might be causing a problem, but you still have to execute that and put it to work. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything. And I think that's a, that's a useful one. Um, the idea of pressure, right? Like you're going to be put under pressure in just anything that you do. Right. And the way that you respond to that pressure is going to dictate the outcome, right? Are you going to find a way to get through this? Are you going to find a way to escape? Are you going to improve upon it? What are you going to do? Um, or are you going to fold, right? And then if you fold, it doesn't mean it's over. It means that you need to figure out, well, I need to be able to catch myself next time. I don't want to fold. Uh, I need to make sure that mentally I stay focused on what I'm doing, keep myself together and you know, don't panic. You know, there's even ideas of like the, the idea of failing, you know, a lot of people are afraid of failure. That's a big one. I mean, that's just, that's rooted in our friggin' DNA about failure. We don't want to, we don't want to fail. We don't want to be rejected, whatever. And I think that in jujitsu, you just fail constantly. And so you become very comfortable with that. Um, you know, one of my ideas in jujitsu is that it, it makes you, unco it makes you comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. So a lot of times people, they shy away from comfort. They don't like pain. They don't like putting themselves in weird situations where they're not sure about the outcome. And in jujitsu, that's really all you're doing all the time, especially yeah. early on. And then you kind of learn to be okay in those situations. You learn, you, you learn to basically find some way to work within the chaos that's going on. And mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing. And then, you know, purely from a, like a physical confidence thing. I mean, when, when you feel physically confident in yourself, that spills over into everything that you do, you know, because again, it, it is, it is what it is. If you go into a situation, you know that you're, you can take care of yourself. Even if the situation doesn't require for you to do that, there's something about having physical confidence in your abilities to do things that just, again, it spills over into every aspect of your life. And again, you even see this with people that maybe not even like physical sports like jujitsu, but you see this even in like um, artistic realms where people maybe, they really master some instrument or they master some thing that they do, some skill and that confidence that they get from that spills out into that person's being to where it, it you know, it, it makes them a more confident person just in general. But I think there is something really unique about the physical confidence you get from knowing that if something were to happen, you would be okay because you've been dealing with this stuff, you know, numerous times. But um, again, I could probably go down the list for, for hours just talking about that because again, I, I, I don't think that you can get into something and this is not jujitsu, just jujitsu. I don't think you can get into something for, you know, 20 years like I have, right. With, with grappling for 20 years and not have walked away with some sort of like parallel to life because there's so many parallels there if you look for them. And this was with true with anything. Oh, um, so, yeah. I agree. I mean, I've not done jujitsu for that long for me. It's about six years. Mm -hmm. um, but even so in my journey, I can pull enough strings out there. Even what you were saying there about like, it teaches you to be uncomfortable in, uh, it teaches you to be comfortable in uncomfortable positions, but also it teaches you to innovate. I mean, I, I've spoken about this on previous shows with previous guests, either on air or off air, 
Well, one of my favorite moves ever like that I got told off for this because again, I think I told you on private email, I get, I keep being told off by my instructors of being the nice guy in the gym. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I'll let you pass my guard and stuff. Yeah. But what I really don't talk about so much and what gets shown up in competition and in the gym is I'll let you pass my guard. Fair enough. But I will give you hell in side control. Like I will make you work for that side control and I'll try and take you back. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, because um, I kept getting passed by like guys that were, like way more stronger and quicker than I was, and it's a habit that I'm learning to plug up while I'm in yeah. quarantine by you know not not allowing it to happen. But one of the beauties that came out of it was um, and it's something I hope I can describe to you. But if someone's got a knee slice going to my right side, mm-hmm. um, what I do is I essentially I let them get the underhook on the on the far side. So they got like they're passing through on my right. They've gone underhook under my left. By all means, it does not look like a good position for me to be in, especially if I've just got their leg in a quarter guard and they're like mm-hmm. sliding through. And I learned for a really long time, I, get, I used to get pulverized in that position. But yeah. the way I learned to get out of it was if I, could, if I could lock my elbow over their elbow in an overhook and mm-hmm. like get my arm underneath their armpit or just use my left hand on their face, I could free my left leg up and actually throw up an armbar and actually okay, catch sure. an armbar after that. Mm-hmm. But again, some people get like quite smart about that. So they'll pass with their head low. And I realized what they were doing was their right knee. Was, sorry, their left knee was always up as they were slicing through. Mm-hmm. So I just used my right hand, put the knee up, uh, which is, again, very stupid because you can get comorid if they're quick enough. But I realized right. if I go for a certain position, again, I'd wiggle my hips out and then move my long ass legs around to the other side and start hooking in a very deep hook and start either sweeping for the back take or try and pull myself back out. Mm-hmm. And again, none of this would have actually ever come about if I'd never let myself get into an uncomfortable position to look sure. at new ways of getting out of things. And that's something that jujitsu did massively for me. Um, and that's a question I really want to ask you about. And that is around breaking traditional rules in order to find new grounds and new ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. What's your take on something like that? But also, <clears throat> how do you see that apply to other areas of life as well? Yeah, I like the, there's a quote from Charlie Parker that I, I love going back to, which is, uh, you know, you master the instrument, you master the music, and then forget all that shit and you just play, right? Play music. And so the idea is that, you know, you master something, you really learn the lessons and things like that. And then after you do that, you can begin to break them and change them. That's um, even, uh, in, I think it was his book, uh, Mastery by Robert Greene. He talked about Mozart and how, uh, you know, they talked about, oh, well, you know, Mozart was writing music since he was a kid, whatever. It was like, well, he was writing other people's music and he was messing around with the, the, the structure of other people's music. And then eventually, as he began to learn the sort of the inherent function and and the sort of structure of everything he began to make his own music as he grew older and i think that that's where in lies the sort of the 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 way it should probably go in most cases is you know again a lot of people get into this early on and this stuff is so it's interesting and you can get lost in all the technical details you can look online and you can find endless amounts of techniques and people a lot of times want to they want to innovate right now and you know my lesson is is like or my idea on this is like look lay the foundation first like learn from all these people you're learning from if there's a if you find something along the way don't there's no reason to discard it but a lot of times you're going to get more bang for your buck in the beginning early on 
by, again, just like Mozart wrote other people's music and messed around with it, take other people's techniques and model after them. Model after those people that have been there and done that before and get a good foundation. And then after some years, you'll start to find that things just start to happen. And like you said, you'll be put in weird positions and you'll be forced to figure things out. And sometimes you'll find things out from your coaches or people you learn from. And other times you'll figure things out intuitively because whether you know the, the sort of the fundamental principles or not, a lot of times our body begins to assimilate those because we have a structure and rules and you just kind of get a sixth sense of what you're supposed to be. It's like when people, a lot of people, can, they don't, if you were to ask them to really map out how to structure a sentence or how to structure language, they couldn't tell you all the ins and outs about it, but they can probably talk to you and maintain those rules in place because they've, they've sort of absorbed them through talking and through um, interaction with people. A lot of times the same thing happens in jujitsu. You start to figure out that, Ooh, if I turn my back, I get choked. So I don't turn my back anymore. Um, if I start to let my arms get separated, I get arm locked. So I bring my arms in really tight and it can be, it can be brought to your attention by a coach right off the bat, or it can be something that you just begin to intuitively do because the body starts to, to react. So I think that at a certain point you start to intuitively begin to move, right? You've, you've done so much um, groundwork that your body becomes in tune with the rules and you start to do things just because it feels right. You begin to improvise. Um, there was a musician that I talked to years ago who also did jujitsu and he was talking about the fact that when he plays on his guitar, he's like, I don't think about the particular chord that I'm going to do. He's like, I've been playing so long that I just know it's going to sound good, right? He just knows because he knows if he moves to this particular chord to this one, it's just going to sound good. And so he plays off of intuition and feel. And a lot of times I think that that's where you start to move towards later on in jujitsu, where you begin to just, you're moving off of intuition and feel. Yes, you have techniques and things like that, but it's more of just a feeling thing rather than like, you know, uh, I'm going to innovate, whatever, but going back to it, I think it's a bright idea to model after the people that have done, been there and done that before coaches, online people, whatever. And then afterwards, then after you start to really lay that groundwork with the stuff that you're learning from them, you can then begin to sort of create your own versions of these things or even make something brand new. Okay. I would agree. So I would definitely agree. So it even goes far, like the same thing works in so many areas of business. Cause I had mm -hmm. this with copywriting. I've done this since like the cradle for me really more than anything. So it's a case of, I had to learn the rules. Mm -hmm. I had to figure out how to play the sport of copywriting. And now it's just like, now I just write, I just do, I show up and it, it comes out of me. Like it's a second nature thing. Sure. Um, my curiosity, again, everyone's like listening to this at home. We're like, seriously, could you guys stop talking about jujitsu for like five minutes? No, we can't. The guy's, <laughs> name, is, the guy's name is Chewy. And I wanted to get him on the show specifically for this one reason, because Health and fitness is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. um, and now we've been in quarantine for a long time. I know there's a lot of people that have either released solo drills uh, mm -hmm. for home training, and there's other people that have actually criticized the solo drills that are home training because they're like, look, they'll damage you, they won't work, and there's a lot of like information hmm. that kind of goes crazy. Um, so my curiosity, and again, I don't agree with that because I think that if this person is doing something that's getting a lot of success, I'm more on the side of like, I totally get it. You'd look at what's been working for a while. So yeah. my question to you is if someone has been, uh, so this is a personal thing as well for me, just as a full disclosure, because I had a couple of injuries before Corona yeah. came in and then I started making my comeback and I injured myself again. So I had to take some time off and now the gym's closed. So the thing is, if you've, if you've got that kind of personality, that's like, okay, once I start working out, I have to work out at the same level mm -hmm. uh, that I used to because it's just a competitive drive. Mm. My question to you as a coach, if you have a group of people like this in your gym or you know, you've sent everyone else home and you've got a couple of people like this in, in your class, 
how do you use that drive they have to always want to be better uh, in their favor rather than kind of going, okay, I want to be able to run like I used to. I, look, I want to train like I used to do and have the same stamina even though I don't. Um, and then they get five minutes in the light. I don't have it anymore. I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. Like, sure. Not saying that's me, but I've actually yeah. spoken to a lot of people that have that. My question mm -hmm. is how do they overcome that? Are we talking about in relation to the coronavirus or just in general? Let's go with coronavirus initially because like a lot of this is home workouts that people are not doing okay. that they could do. And the second one would be post, like when you're back in the gym. Yeah, so I think one thing is is that again, another sort of thing from jujitsu, right, is you learn to do whatever you can do, right? You learn to um, focus on what you have control of, right? That's a big thing. Um, I like it from stoic principles, and I think it's an important thing from jujitsu, right, where if you are in a match or something and you get screwed over by the ref and he didn't give you your points, then you just got to keep moving and you got to try, try to make those points up. If you're stuck in the bottom of side control and this guy's really putting some pressure on you, you can't worry about the guy's pressure. You have to worry about, well, just bring your arms and you got to defend. You got to figure out a way to deal with this. And I think that right now with the coronavirus, everybody's you know, we, we have a really weird time. It's a very strange time that we're not accustomed to. And again, it's through a lot of people's plans and ideas and just their normal lifestyles up, uh, you know, threw them up in the air. And for both things, I think it's always valuable to sort of make way for certain things to happen. So um, Joseph Campbell, I'm a big fan of his work, and he talks about the idea of the, the, the basically the mythological stories being used as a way to sort of uh, for almost like scaffolding for your life. And the idea that I, I love so much that I think is one, one thing that we don't necessarily come to grips with is the death and rebirth, right? So a lot of times in our lives, and it, and it doesn't have to be a death and rebirth, uh, an actual death, but it could be an ego death of sorts, or it could be a, simply a death of a particular point in your life. So for instance, as we get older, you know, we live in a society, especially Western society, we're obsessed with youth. People are trying to inject young blood in themselves. We have people that are getting plastic surgery and just doing anything people that they possibly can. People are injecting themselves with young blood. Yeah, young blood. Like, so wow. I think it's, yeah, if you look it up, there's like, a, I guess some of these billionaires or whatever are taking blood and then injecting them to themselves. Um, and so the, uh, so we're obsessed with youth, right? Like, you know, in this sort of thing. And, um, we have no real, we don't, we take old people and shove them into homes and then we just keep ourselves as young as possible, whatever. And so I think that people have trouble coming to grips with the fact that you're going to get old and you're going to change, right? And you're going to have to maybe tone down your training at some point. You're not going to be able to train like you're 20 forever, right? There's going to have to be those changes. And if you do not listen and honor that cycle of your body and, and that cycle of life, you're going to run into trouble. I, I, I did it. I felt it. I friggin' was running into trouble when I was in my, when I was about 30 years old, I was running into issues. And luckily I was able to start to sort of back off the pedal a little bit so I could preserve what I have and um, adjust my training for the situation, right? But I think that, you know, you can have that on a very minor scale. So right now people's lives have been changed. And so you have to make room, you have to allow something doesn't mean it's going to be dead forever, right? But if you're not able to train in the way that you would like, well, going back to taking control of what we can, and then allowing for different sides of things to kind of go to the side for a little bit, you could obsess over it and you could be upset about it and you could drink yourself stupid over it, right? Or you could say, listen, this particular thing's not an option. 
I'm going to let this go and I'm going to focus on what I can do and adjust to the situation and let something else be birthed out of this. Right. And so again, to me, that's a, it's a great opportunity because you know, for right now, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm sure you've seen it. I see a lot of people posting really negative stuff online. Yeah. Um, lots of angry stuff. And again, I understand the anger. I have some as well, but at the same time, what good does it do to argue with people online? You could be reading a book, learning a new skill. You could be diving into something else in your life. You could be spending time with people that are close to you. I mean, you could go, you could be in, you could go for a workout or something like a do a, go for a nice long walk or a ride, a, go for a bike ride, whatever you want to do something. You could do something productive for yourself. You know, again, it might be different than what you're used to, but you do what you got to do. And so I think that a lot of times with right now, people are having trouble adjusting to finding other outlets and um, you know, making room because they're still clinging to that thing that was, and it's like, I'm, I'm expecting it to come back. You know, I am, but at the same time for the time being temporarily, you just have to make some adjustments and you have to let something new come in. Right. And then as far as just in general, I think that that happens a lot. Just like I was saying, people a lot of times become attached to particular sides of ourselves. We become, our egos become really gripped with a particular thing, especially if we like the way that we are, especially if you like the way that things have gone, you become attached to that. And then to let go of that's a really hard thing to do. And so I think that there's times where like, you know, um, you know, someone like I have a friend, you know, he's dealing with some knee issues right now. He's a good friend of mine. He's, is, he is an incredibly strong human being, one of the strongest people I know. And he's, he just had an MRI done and they're basically, it's, it's not a good prognosis for his knee, like for heavy lifting anymore. And this is a guy who is a competitive lifter and, you know, I mean, could, could throw up massive amounts of weight. Um, and he's dealing with this depression because of the, the death that's going on with the ego. Because again, this is a guy who is strong. This is a guy that could put over 350 pounds over his head. This is a guy that, you know, squats, you know, 500 plus pounds, bench presses 420 plus pounds, an incredibly strong human being. And now that thing that he was is not necessarily always going to be there. Now, again, I think uh, I told him to get a second opinion, of course, but, uh, and hopefully there's some good news, but if it did come down to the fact that he couldn't lift some of those heavy weights, you know, what's going to happen then you have to make room for something new. And I think that, you know, you can see that on very minor scales and and sort of uh, micro scales, I guess you would, but then there can be these big ego deaths where you're having to deal with the death of who you have grown accustomed to as far as being who you are, as far as your being goes. Um, So, yeah. There's a lot of people that have to actually deal with that, especially when it comes down to like um, navigating their personality and what's going on in today's world. Mm -hmm. Like I have a couple of friends, bless them, where, it's a case of now is the perfect time for some, for one of them to get rest during uh, their illness. Cause they were ill before everything kind of went on and they were still going to work because they were ill and they were like, I can't do anything. Thankfully they've had like a good 60 days worth of time to just rest up their body. And the entire yeah. time I was like, dude, just look at your diet the entire time. They're like, why? It's like, I'm not one to preach. Yeah. In the slightest, I have a sweet tooth. I'm basically a fat kid in a body that allows me to actually like not put on a ton of weight. <laughs> like <laughs> to give you a, to give you guys an idea, and I'm gonna get hate for this, and I know I will because I get hate from it for my personal life anyway. Like I'm six foot tall, but I barely weigh 180 pounds. Like my mm. and this is 180 pounds is heavy for me. That's like wow. me my that's me tipping the scale. You're a thin um, guy. Yeah. So like when when I compete, and even when I do compete, I tend to compete at 160. Like mm-hmm. lightweight, featherweight, lightweight, and like light middleweight, like my three zones. Plus being long and skinny allows me to have one advantage. Doss chokes, man. I'm going to catch you with one. So yeah. all I'm looking for, the Tony Ferguson package, so to say, and there is something I do want to discuss about that in a minute. But 
when it comes down to it, even so me looking at them going, look, you need to do an elimination diet as I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm going through all the foods and going, okay, what stuff can I move away from that's actually making me feel bad that I can feel good mm-hmm. at? And yeah. snacking is a pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong. I want to snack all the time. It's mm-hmm. just now my snacking has moved over to like cheese sticks with um, salt on them, like just cheese slices <laughs> and salt and yeah. a crap ton of water and me kind of going, damn, I want some chips, but I can't have any. So right. It's a, it's a crazy adaptation. But the question I want to ask you now, realistically, as I just mentioned him, dude, what did you think of Ferguson versus Gaethje? I know it'll be a couple of months removed out, so we're going to talk about Gaethje versus Khabib next, but yeah. that fight was one brutal fight because I've never seen anyone hit Ferguson that hard. Yeah, I, um, you know, I just saw clips of it. I didn't watch it. So I don't, I have trouble watching the fights because they usually come on so late yeah. uh, for, for me, like with my time, like, cause again, I'm on Eastern time. So they usually come on late. I don't know when these came on. So I don't even look at them most of the time because I physically, I, I go to sleep too early on a regular basis. And so like me staying up past 11 o'clock is a tough sell. And so, you know, I, and, and like, I, like there's pictures. I remember uh, back, uh, back in 2000 and maybe 16 or 17, I would go to my buddy's house and we would all, you know, we would watch the fights together as a group. And I remember every time we would go watch the fights, I would fall asleep before the, the, the main fight. And then, you know, it's like a roll of the dice. Sometimes the fights are great. And then other times they can be snooze fests. And I just, I, I would fall asleep all the time. And so I'd have to wake back up for the the main event. And so, yeah, so I, I just, I, my sleep's far more important to me than the fight. So a lot of times I'll catch the results and stuff. And um, I saw clips of it and, um, you know, it was, uh, it was something to see someone that delivered that kind of punishment to uh, um, Ferguson and uh, especially Ferguson, who's just so damn durable. And I mean, yeah. someone to be able to take that punishment, you know, as someone that's like fought before, it's different if you've never fought before, but if you fought and you've been in the ring before and you've been hit hard and you understand what that feels like, that's a weird thing. And it's like, I always think about that because it's like, it it goes against logic, right? Like if you were to be hit that many times in like a normal setting, your body would not, you would be doing everything that you can to get out of that situation. But when you, when you're a fighter and you're in that situation, in that moment, there's nothing that you can do that's going to make you want to get out of there. You're going to kind of keep going until if your body simply just gives out on you, you know what I mean? And um, that's kind of what happened at the, the end of the, towards the end of the fight. Yeah. And I'm glad they ended it the way they did, but very similarly to you, there are a few fights that I'll watch all the way through. Very few. Um, Mm. And that's only because it's, it's going to sound really stupid, but it's almost always guaranteed to be an entertaining fight for me. But even then I know myself well enough. Sometimes I'll just skip around. Like Mm -hmm. I'll go and just like skip one round over and see what's happening in the next round. So that's why I like the fight highlights they release like the day after because it gives mm-hmm. me an idea. But the question now I have for you, Khabib versus uh, Gaethje. I think Gaethje actually has a shot, but I still don't count Khabib out because that dude, in my opinion, is not human. Like, yeah, it's it's an interesting fight because obviously Gaethje has good wrestling um, and he's a much better striker than Khabib, which it looks like on paper he's a better striker. Um, but Khabib, you know, he has that there's there's a certain quality about him that you can't quite put your finger on. It's like some some sort of intangible thing that he has. Um, he's just such a gritty, aggressive wrestler and um, the way that he fights on the ground. It's not just that he's a wrestler, but when he gets on the ground, the amount of pressure that he puts on people to keep them down is super impressive where once they get down, they rarely get up. I think, honestly, that's probably where 
to me where he shines because it's like once he's on the ground, because, you know, for instance, back in the day, a lot of wrestlers would fight and it was like they, they were getting guys down and they would ground and pound. And then the kickboxers and stuff learned how to stand up and get up off the ground. And that was a problem for the wrestlers. And, you know, there's only been, you know, a, a series of guys who have been like amazing ground and pounders like where once they got on the ground that was it the people just didn't get back up and um you know he, he's one of those guys where he gets people on the ground and they just don't get back up they just get battered um the only thing that you, you would be curious about is because with the wrestling could gaichi stop the takedown and could he deliver some blows because it could people eat a shot to get in yeah. and so you're curious like would he eat a shot would he get hit hard because gaichi was throwing bombs in that last and fight Gaethje you know and bombs. so it it would be I would just be curious. So I, it's, it's hard for me to like, I, I, I'm always so like, uh, I think too much as far as like, this guy's going to win whatever. Um, but I think that Gaethje has a better chance than most do for, uh, to, to fight uh, uh, Khabib. Khabib. I, I have Gaethje as the dark horse of the UFC. Like he's the dude no one wants to like pay attention to like initially because he's such a humble guy. He's just such a nice guy. But mm-hmm. he is, he's scary. But I'd say the one thing Khabib has and Chael talked about the most, it's the fact that he takes you to the worst possible position that you could ever think. It's the place that you'd be like, okay, I can defend, which is against the cage. You're like, I've been up against the cage. I know exactly how to defend that takedown. You drop your hips down, make sure you got double unders, make sure they don't actually get underneath your legs, make sure you keep your legs nice and wide, you know, wide base. I've been there. I've been on the receiving end and on the offensive end of that. Mm-hmm. What I get told from guys that train with Khabib, the friends that I have at AKA, every single one tells me the exact same thing. He puts you on the cage, he body locks you, and then some really weird way he gets you on the ground. And then the moment you're there, mm. you just for a moment, psychology is for them, at least we discussed this. Like the moment I get on the ground with Khabib, it's because the aura is already established. I'm not going to get back up. So mentally, I'm already defeated yeah. on that, in that realm. But the second part is, I just can't believe a guy put me in the most defensive position possible and still got me to the ground. That's like a double break for you. So you're not going to get back up, but kind of talking about the mindset going back into it, because I think what people don't really pay attention to, in my opinion, on the day to day is how their brain works is how their mindset affects Mm -hmm. everything they're doing. And, um, we've discussed in jujitsu. It's a great place to actually understand this. It's a great place in fighting. But the question is, what tools can people have? Because you've mentioned one of my favorite books, which is, of course, Mastery by Robert Greene. But what tools can mm-hmm. people start using today to start shifting their mindset? Like, what books would you recommend? What movies? And what attitudes and exercises would you recommend they do? Just to, like, kind of callous their mind and get it to the point where they can go do things. It's mm, interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that has been useful to me, because here's the thing, I think that a lot of times our emotions can get carried away, right? We can become, if we're not careful, we can become kind of a slave to our emotions into our impulsive thoughts, right? They can just pop and go. And then if we're not aware, they take us for a ride. And then it's only after the fact we go, oops, I didn't mean to do that, right? And someone can think about how they maybe have lashed out at one of their loved ones before. And then afterwards, they're like, God, that was so stupid of me. I was angry about work. And I took it out on them, that kind of thing, right? And, um, you know, one of the things that's been helpful to me is 
um, doing different forms of meditation, right? Um, that can be everything from a seated meditation to, I mean, it can literally be anything. You could literally just sit there and go for a walk and try to be in that moment with that walk. You could dance around, whatever, anything, anything can really become a meditation, but doing different forms of meditation um, are helpful because again, you get sort of that, you help promote that stillness where you can kind of see what's going on and just simply take inventory of what's going on in you rather than taking in all the stimulus. Um, and one sort of like little, it was, this is kind of one of my stories that I, I, that I share that kind of really helped me out personally was I was doing a particular meditation that involved a, a bunch of activity on the front end. And then on the back end, you had to just at the end of it, right? So at the end of it, you would have to just be still for, I think it was like 20 minutes. You had to just not move 20 minutes or it was like, no, 10 minutes, 10 minutes of not moving. You just don't move 10 minutes. And you were told not to do not move. Like your body is still, if you've got an itch, don't scratch it. If you got a wiggle, don't wiggle, just, just sit still and breathe. And I remember there was a moment where a little droplet of sweat was sliding down my nose and it got caught like right in that little side of your nose, right below, like right above your mouth. It just, it's that little spot that itches sometimes. Yeah. And just like it, right here, the little, the little yes, of it all. right in the corner crook of the nose. So when that happened, I instantly just, my whole body began to like give this, this like tension where it wanted to scratch. It was like my whole body wanted to scratch the damn like corner of my nose. And then it's like, you know, I was, but I was told not to, so I'm not going to scratch it. And then I kind of had this moment. I'm like, I feel like I'm like, I feel like my body's going in craziness overdrive trying to scratch this thing, but I'm not going to die if I don't scratch it. So I'm just going to hang out here and, it's not, and I'm not going to scratch it. And then the damn thing went away. And a lot of times this is kind of what happens where if you can catch your emotions, if you can catch these, uh, these rogue thoughts, you can take a step back from them and you can decide, do I really want to honor this thought or do I want to sort of let this one go? Um, you know, in one of like, like sort of a, a pra more practical example, um, which, you know, again, I share this one uh, on the channel, I, I think before, but, um, there was one time my girlfriend and I, we went out and we would just kind of had a little bit of uh, ice cream together. It was on the weekend. And then I was like, Hey, let's go for a walk. She's like, okay, well, uh, for whatever reason, she didn't want to walk at the particular park. And so we were going to walk around our neighborhood but I kind of wanted to walk at the park. And for whatever reason that just got under my skin, I was like, I wanted to walk at the park, but you know, I was like, doesn't matter. We're going to go for a walk. So I'm driving. And then I'm, I'm sitting with there. I'm sitting there almost like with the two little guys on my shoulder, the devil and the, the, uh, the angel, right. One of them saying like, be angry at her, like whatever we should walk to the park. The other one's like, Hey, does this really matter? You know? And then when I got into the, I, I just kind of kept it to myself. I didn't, I didn't get angry at her or whatever. And then when I walked into the room or to the, uh, to our house, right. I get in and I see all of my, dishes from when I had I meal prepped and all my dishes are sitting right there in the, the the sink waiting for her and then I had this moment of like I bet she loves dealing with your dishes too huh and so then I kind of had a laugh at myself for, for being so friggin ridiculous you know because it's like again if I would have been less cognizant of it I probably would have gotten angry you know and made a fight out of it for no reason it doesn't matter if we're walking at the park or if we're walking a mile down uh, down by the house um, and then again not realizing like look like we're, we all got to put up with stuff, right? She's putting up with this stuff of you. You can put up with this. It's, it's just not that big of a deal. And so again, this has come in handy numerous times. So that's just like some examples, but even with uh, competing, getting ready to compete. I remember I was competing in, uh, at a tournament and again, I'm getting ready and I'm kind of having those, those nervous feelings just like everybody does. And I remember having this moment where for a moment I started having that second guessing feeling, right? That little that self doubt started to creep in. And then I took a step in my mentally taking a step back. And then I started to kind of think to myself, okay, listen, like talking to have this inner dialogue. When you go to gyms, 
how many guys, does anyone ever walk over, like just destroy you? And I'm like thinking to myself, no, you know, I, I usually can, can roll with people with no problem whatsoever. Okay. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, these guys, like the only people that ever beat me are like, like guys like Muhammad Ali and JT Torres and these guys that are like these high level guys, I'm always competitive. So I'm like, regardless when to lose, let's just go out and do it. But obviously no one's just going to like walk over you. Like it's no easy business, you know? It's and again, be, it's just going to be a scrap. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And just being, and being in control of that. And so that's been useful to me, right? Um, as far as like just basically being able to take a step back. And so I encourage people to do that. And, you know, and a lot of people have trouble because they mistakenly think, oh, I can't, I can't be still for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever. And it's just, it's a it's practice. It's just like anything else. Like it's a skill you develop, you know? And to me, it's like, if you can't be still for 10 minutes, there's a problem. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's a problem. You're addicted to your phone or addicted to stimulation. Like you need to take a step back. Um, so that's helpful. Um, as far as books and stuff like that, I mean, I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy, you know, so I, I think I find it very practical. I, I like more esoteric stuff as well, but I do like Stoic philosophy for its practicality. Um, you know, I definitely like, you know, meditations by Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus's books, um, you know, Seneca is good as well. I really like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus's stuff because those guys lived it. Seneca, maybe, you know, he, he talked about it, but he was also a really wealthy guy and stuff like that. So, you know, whereas Marcus, like he, he Marcus Aurelius was kind of known for being this sort of austere guy, even though he had all this stuff, you know, and then you had Epictetus who, uh, again, was a slave at one point and, you know, he, he got out of slavery and he ended up being this guy who taught other people. It's like, it's fantastic. So, um, some of that's really good stuff, but, um, you know, I mean, those are, those are a couple, I could go down the, the, the rabbit hole there, but those are a couple that have been really Dude, important to me. If you ever want to go down the rabbit hole in books, this is the place to do so. Cause I mm. clearly there's a, there's books yeah. right behind me. There's a whole section just for stoicism on that top shelf. Yeah. The, the, the only thing maybe to mention else, I'll throw one more and make it a nice three. One of the other things I really like is reading biographies or autobiographies, because a lot of times uh, when you read them, you start to see these common threads from people and you see that people have dealt with this stuff before. Like a lot of the problems that you're having, people have dealt with similar problems before, maybe not the exact same problem, but similar problems. And it's, I find it instructive to see, well, how did they deal with these problems? You know what I mean? And just, it, it, I don't know why there's always something comforting to know that people have been there and done that before. Like someone's been in the situation that you have, you're not alone. And so you can see how people are. And that's very instructive to me because for me, a lot of times I get more value from seeing the way that people dealt with it. They are, they just are like, not the, what they're saying, but who they're being that's important to me because then like I can, that rubs off on me. Like I think of some of my mentors, I learned not necessarily just by what they said, but the way that they did things, the way that they lived, the way that they, uh, the way that they were just being. And that was instructive. That is very instructive in its own right, because sometimes seeing someone live it the way they do is actually more impactful than mm -hmm. um, just reading about it. It's, yeah. it. it's crazy because like for me, it's a case of, I love Robert Greene's books. I think sure. Robert Greene for me is like one of the greatest writers for the, for the source of power and nature of how we think about things. His stuff mm -hmm. is brilliant. Um, but the place where I find the biggest influence, believe it or not, is actually more to do with like religious parables. Hmm. Yeah. It's the stoicism for sure, but also religious parables of seeing exactly how some people actually move around and what they do and the ideals that you would have gone through. Mm -hmm. They have, some of them don't get me wrong. Some of the religious parables have like more extreme examples of a small emotion I'm going through, which basically a puts it into a subsect of going, 
hey, dumbass, your problem's not that big. It could be worse. Right. But the second way is if that works on a higher level, it will work on a lower level as well. So just use the exact same thought processes around. Sure. Um, one of my favorite questions realistically to ask you on this, or nice to ask anyone on my show is, uh, comes down to the idea of confidence, specifically when life has handed you your ass to you, because sometimes mm-hmm. life will just do that because it's life. My question to you is how did you in a previous time, um, actually raise your own confidence and get yourself out of that kind of like self-defeating mindset that can come about with it when it beats you up? Um, and what do you do now to quickly find the path back into that confidence of who you are? Hmm. You know, I think that there's maybe something to be said about just pushing forward. So like there's times we're all going to lack confidence, right? Yeah. And I think that confidence comes after, like, you're not going to have the confidence to do the thing before the thing. Most of the time, the confidence kind of comes after, like a lot of times, especially if you're tr- tr- uh, going into new territory, you're not going to have the confidence to do it. You've never done it before, but there's something that's empowering about doing it anyway, right? Like when I went into my first jujitsu class, you know, gosh, back in 2003 or my first wrestling practice back in 2000. Like I, I wasn't confident. I'd never done them before. I was, I was freaking nervous as can be. I had a pit in my stomach and I felt nervous and then, you know, just, you were, you didn't know what was going to happen, but you do it. And I remember in both cases that after that first day, that felt empowering. Um, you know, anytime where I've gone up and tried to talk to a girl, I remember when I first started talking to women, you know, I would be nervous to ask someone out on a date. And then even if I asked them out on a date and I got rejected, I still kind of felt empowered by the fact that I did it because I was nervous and I did it anyway. And so I think that, even when you get your, your, your butt handed to you, even when you get knocked down, even when you don't know what's going to happen, there's something empowering about forward momentum and just getting up and doing it anyway, right? So even if you don't feel like you got it and you just do it, there's something empowering about that, at least for me. And so a lot of times I don't wait for like the, the, the perfect amount of confidence. I just do it. If it's something I know I need to do, I just get it done because I know that in reality, the confidence gets built from that process anyway, because anytime you start to, cause again, going back to like our ego, our ego is a construction. It tells us who we think we are and kind of helps us navigate the world. Everyone's got one. We all need one. Right. Yeah. But it's a tool and you don't want to be ruled by the ego. Right. So you don't want the ego to tell you what you can and cannot do. So if your ego says to you, Oh, you know, uh, you can't do this particular thing. You'd never be good at it. But then what if you start doing it and you get good at it, right? Like, again, you change the story. So now your ego says, oh, yeah, we're good at this thing. You know, and so I think that sometimes where we can get into a situation where we tell a story about ourselves that may be far smaller than what could be true. And I think that by getting into those things and going into the unknown, you get to begin to change that story and realize capacities and capabilities that you have in yourself that, uh, you know, maybe you didn't think you have before. To me, that's where confidence comes from you know? Um, and then I think that's also where there's some, there's something really powerful about going in and getting back up and going after something, even if you don't feel quite ready for it, or even if you don't feel confident about it, but you do it anyway. So, um, yeah. That is actually quite interesting though, because like that is a true case of anything, a testament to how we think and how we feel, because the truth is if you go back to it, there is a point. And I, and I say this more as someone that is getting older and mm-hmm. realizing this, you can't pick up a skill and be the absolute best at it on day one. You have to take some time. Mm-hmm. And it's going back to that whole idea of a rookie mindset, or as we like to call it, a white belt mindset, which is sure. constantly here to pick stuff up. So that's a very powerful way of thinking about things. Mm. Now, my last question to you before we wrap up today is what would be like the, if you had to summate to everyone and actually give them just three areas, three things they should look at for the next 
30, 60 days, what would those three things be? You mean three areas like just in general? Yeah, in their life, like just three areas in their life of like, you know what, if I sit down with any one of my friends and be like, I want you to look at these three things for the next 60 days. Um, it's so different for everyone else because everyone else has so many different paths. Um, one of the sort of practices that's been useful to me is journaling. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to go dear diary, you know, today I had a really, it's nothing like that, but it's like having a conversation with yourself. Like just like, for instance, you know, we both have podcasts, right? And so when you do a podcast and you get to talk to someone, there's a, a lot of really cool ideas come out from just conversing with people, you know? And I think this is also one of the things that's a negative side of technology, in a lot of cases, people converse with people through technology, but they lose that face-to-face interaction. Because I know that for me, a lot of times in my gym, we'll have these situations where we're talking in a big group and you know, we have people from different walks of life and different sort of uh, ideas. And a lot of times you get this sort of sharing of ideas and you talk things out and you have different ideas that you didn't, they come up out of the blue and you're like, where did that come from? That's such a good idea. You know, this kind of thing. And so I think that that conversation is important. So I use journaling in a lot of cases as simply a conversation with myself, right? It's a way to talk with myself and figure things out. And so a lot of times if I have a really hard question about something, right? Like when this whole coronavirus thing started, I was nervous at first. And so I I pulled my journal out and I'm like, all right, why am I afraid of this whole thing? You're like, what's bothering me about this? I started just going, just a, just a stream of consciousness. What, what's going on with me right now? Where, where do I, why do I feel the way that I do and all this stuff? And after you look at it, you're like, okay, this is what it is. And then you say, okay, now what can I do about this? Right. What can I focus on? And then I answer that question. And that's one of the more powerful prompts that I've, I've had over the years is just basically if something's really on my mind, I write it down and I ask it like a question to myself. And then it's like from there, the subconscious just starts to puke out all kinds of information. And a lot of times it's instructive. And so I think that for people, if like you're in a situation like right now where we're just sitting around, you don't have the time or even later on and after things are great and whatever, if you're sitting around and you're like thinking about things you might, you should focus on or maybe whatever, it's you probably already know what you need to focus on. But if you need something to maybe kind of stare at it a little bit, pull out a piece of notebook paper, write down a question. What are three things I could focus on right now that could improve my life? Most people have a, a decent example, right? And there is some, some sort of inkling of something that they could do to make their life better, right? And start to write that down, right? Because if the person's overweight, right, obese, they'd be like, look, I need to start dieting, right? And then you can be like, well, I need to start dieting. So what can I do to diet? What can I do to improve my diet? What are some things? You know, if it's someone that's, you know, needs to exercise, well, what can you do to fix that? Or if it's someone that, you know, needs to um, increase their income, what can you do to increase your income? What kind of things could you do? I mean, again, I think it's different for everybody, but I think that a lot of times most of us have a pr- pretty good understanding of what we probably should do, or at least some direction we should move in. And so I think sometimes where you kind of do that journaling exercise, at least you can see it in, and it's a way of kind of confirming something that might be stuck in there that you maybe don't want to think about all the time because, you know, we, we like to kind of bury the stuff that's uncomfortable to us. It's a way of just kind of bringing it up to the surface and staring at it and then working from there. And so I would say if someone's looking for things to do, start with a journaling exercise, ask yourself, figure out that, let, let, let the subconscious bring it up to you. And then from there, just start to move in a direction that you want to move towards and kind of see what happens uh, at that point. Could not agree more with you. Now, would you actually go more of a physical journal or would you go as a digital journal? I like the physical. I think there's something to pen and paper, right? There's this bodily thing. I do like writing and I write, you know, every day. Um, 
in on a computer. But when it's that stuff, I like having a, when it comes to note taking for, um, when I'm like reading books, I'm taking notes. I do it in a journal, a physical journal. And then when I do a, um, uh, whenever I do sort of journaling prompts, it's all in a written journal. Um, so I always kind of, I like that. I like that physical pen and paper type thing. Same. Uh, the way I've upgraded that is I went iPad and iPad pencil because it still mm. has the same motion. And I have like huh. a paper, I had a paper-like thing over it because for me, it's a case of whenever I'm teaching copywriting, one of the rules they have is you have to handwrite a couple of good ads sure. because the act of writing actually etches that shit into the back of your head. That so, makes sense. um, 2018, I spent like five, $750, $800 on journals alone in that one yeah. year because I love journals. Uh, uh, you guys can't see this, but like Chewy will see that most of that shelf is mostly journals like that. Oh, nice. That's, That's mostly, cool. Like then brand new journals, hardly touched. Um, so of course I love them. So they're all waiting to be used and they're all uh, put it together in a certain way. But then I realized I could never find the goddamn notes I wanted when I need them <laughs> most. Like yeah, I yeah, need yeah. to know about something's like, God damn it. It's in journal three or whatever. So right, right. I decided to just get an iPad, uh, start 2019. It is my most favorite investment so far because it still allows me to make notes. It still feels like real paper. Um, mm -hmm. And I get to draw, which is lovely. I get to doodle, which is my favorite thing. I, I get to doodle as much as I want and not worry about the economic impact of, you just doodle on three pieces of paper that you're not really going sure. to ever use again. So yeah. it works out. But I agree with you. Journaling has probably the number one thing that gets you out of any situation. It's helpful. It's massively helpful. Just like you know, I think it just, it just, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that for, for instance, like if you want to make someone do something right, it has to come from them. You know, um, this is the the power of like really good storytellers. And this is why parables and religion and things like that, the way they work and Aesop's fables and all this stuff. Right. Um, you know, Great when you, back. Yeah. Like when you, when you tell someone a story about the, the tortoise and the hare, right? Like you, you don't have to explicitly say what the lesson is. They get it right. Slow and steady. Don't try to cheat. Don't try to whatever. Just keep, keep, keep focused, slow and steady. Right. Uh, I guess is the idea, but you know, these parables and things like that, these, these stories that get told a good story brings you to the point to where you accept that idea and then it comes from you rather than coming from the other person telling you what to do. And I think that with journaling, again, it's like having a conversation again with yourself. And so whatever pops out on that paper, that's coming from you. Like that's somewhere deep in you. And so if you, if it's, if it comes from you, that's a more powerful place than, you know, well, you know, so-and-so said I should get in shape, you know, well, what do you think? You know? And then again, if you, if you start to get into this stuff and you start to get a, a, a strong feeling from inside of you deep within that gives you this desire to say, listen, I need to get in shape because you know, you start to like really stare at it more. And again, it comes up from a place. You know, that's a powerful thing. And so I think that's what I think is useful about it is because whatever's coming up on that paper is from somewhere in you rather than from an exterior sort of source. Yeah. And it prompts and you have general prompts that allow you to actually get into that space. And something mm -hmm. I definitely recommend. And a book again, that I'm going to recommend uh, for the second time in a second show, I think in a row is uh Dr. Nathaniel Brandon's book, Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. So Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Okay. Great book. It's uh, He was a therapist that basically had really good journal prompts in there. Like, okay, if I acted with 5% more integrity towards my partner today, how would that look like? And he goes, you just mm. want to write six endings to that. That's all. Yeah. 
And you just cool. do that for 10 minutes every day and you'll see your life drastically shift every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even I'm sure you, I'm sure you've seen this stuff like the, just doing a simple thing that you're gr- grateful for every morning, right? Again, it's easy to focus on negative stuff and things that aren't going right. But if you start to appreciate all the amazing blessings that you have going on every single day, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. The attitude of, what was it? The attitude of gratitude is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Guys, on that very happy note, I'm going to go ahead and express my gratitude my gratitude for having Chewie on the show today, coming in and actually delivering one hell of a good show. And guys, please go ahead and rate, review, subscribe, and share. Please go ch- uh, check out chujitsu.net. Even if you aren't currently into jujitsu, please go check it out because I guarantee you this man will get you to be like, yeah, I can go for a class. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. And then eventually you're like, God damn, where was this my entire life? It's just one of those things that happens. Mm-hmm. And um, as always, please rate, review, subscribe, go check out his channel uh, on YouTube as well, which is on the Jiu-Jitsu as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. can search Jiu-Jitsu and you'll find me. Yeah, he's. it's basically the same with me. So you can find my name and you find me, you find Jiu-Jitsu and everything is him. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, guys, have a great time. Have a great weekend. And I look forward to speaking to you next week. Cool.